crest just break? Yup. <laughs> I love being the pastor of this church and just giving you one video after another of just pure truth. That's what I look, I look forward to that every single weekend. Did you notice when the pressure came on the cowboy, the helmet kind of slipped away and ran away from the pressure? That's kind of like a foretelling of the future. Don't you think that's what that is right there? Hey, I'm so glad that you're with us today, and I'm thankful for those who are watching on the stream and on the television as well. All of our multi-sites all over New Mexico and our multi-site in Belize, we're grateful that you're a part of the Sagebrush family too. Just a couple quick things I want to make mention of before we get into the message today. One, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. When we opened up for Feed My Starving Children, and we told you we needed a 1,000 volunteers to pack these meals to send over to third world countries so they could get food and they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within a 24-hour period, we had over a 1,000 volunteers already sign up to do it. It happened today, and most of those 1,000 volunteers showed up, and now we have, since we've had a partnership with Feed My Starving Children, we have packed 2.1 million meals. That's incredible right there. That's a big yay God. And of course, you as a church, because of your tithes and your offerings, you pay for all that food that we packaged, and that was around $80,000 worth of food. So when you're giving your tithes and your offerings, understand that a lot of that money goes to other places. You're impacting people that you never even knew that you were impacting. Friends, there's going to be a day, because of your generosity and your faithfulness, I believe it with all my heart, that Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And when he says, great is your reward, it will be all the people that God allowed you to impact along the way. So way to go, Sagebrush. Very proud of you. Now, the next thing... The next thing I want to make mention of is we have a big celebration, a big party coming up in September. It's our VIP celebration. Now, this is for all of our team members, all of our volunteers, all the folks who put in effort every single week uh, to make this church everything it can be. We do this once a year. Uh, we're going to be passing out limited edition sagebrush long sleeve t-shirts, and the only way you can get the shirt is by showing up. This is for all of our campuses, and so when you register, that's what I want you to do. I want you to register on the app. Just move the banner one time over. You'll see VIP. Fill out the information. We got kid care available. We're going to eat crumble cookies, have lots of fun things to drink. Going to have some photo opportunities. The staff has put together some interesting entertainment. I'm going to be sharing a special message from my heart. It is one of those don't miss nights. So please make plans to come to your particular campus and be a part of that. Even if you're just thinking about serving. Think Thinking about becoming a team member, this is a great night to be introduced to really the core of our church, the people who are on the very front lines of making things happen around here. We just want to love you, and we want to appreciate you, so please take the time to register and sign up for that. All right, let's get into the message today. It's the last part of the study in the book of James, the last message we have for Pressure Point. So let's get into it. In 1857... Churches in New York City were seeing a steady decline in attendance. And the pastors gathered together, and they were very concerned. One particular pastor had an idea. He went to one of the businessmen in his church. 
He said, I would like to start up a prayer meeting on Wednesdays at noon, and I'd like you to lead the prayer meeting. You can use the church to do it. Well, they printed off a bunch of flyers, and they passed out the flyers in hopes that somebody would come. And sure enough, that very first Wednesday at noon, the only person who was there was the guy, the businessman, who started the prayer meeting. He prayed for about 30 minutes, and at about 12.30, another guy walked in. So the two of them began to pray. And then by 1 o'clock, six people had gathered together. Well, they had had such a wonderful experience praying together. They thought, you know what? This could really be a move of God. Let's just keep advertising it. Let's see what God does. So the next week, they kept passing out flyers. And the next week, they had 20 people show up. And the week after that, they had 40 people show up. And a few months later, they had so many people showing up, they couldn't fit all the people in the church at 12 noon for prayer. Well, guess what? Other pastors in the area began to hear about this, and they said, well, if that works over there, it'll work over here. And so they began a prayer meeting at their churches at Wednesday at noon as well. And so they started to open up their doors, and more and more people started going to these prayer gatherings. In fact, factories started shutting down at 11.55, five minutes before noon, on Wednesday, so people could get to their locations so that they could pray. There was a New York reporter who was looking out his window one day, and he saw a strange phenomenon. He saw adults running. You know you don't see that very often. Adults don't run. They just walk swiftly. That's what they do. And they saw all these adults running, and they were disappearing. So he went down the street to find out what in the world was going on, and he found that they were all praying in these churches. It was estimated that 40,000 people gathered together every Wednesday at noon all over New York City, praying for the city and praying that God would bring about revival. Well, it caught on all throughout the entire nation. Other cities started doing the same thing. Denver and and Dallas and Miami, all across the United States of America, these prayer gatherings were happening. And church historians say that in 1859, over a million unchurched people in just that one year gave their lives over to Jesus Christ. Now, here's my question. Does God still work that way today? Come on, let me hear you. Does God still work that way today? I believe that he does. When we started this church years ago, all I wanted to do is I wanted to replicate the church in Acts. Those people in Acts saw God do the miraculous. Now, why did they see God do the miraculous? Because they prayed. And I've always said, when when we pray like the people we read about in the book of Acts, we will see the power of God come down upon us like the people did in the book of Acts. So i got to ask you a question. How's your prayer life? For for most of us, we would say, you know, it's not not great. It's not as good as it could be. It's rare to hear someone say that it's really going fantastic. Because we all have these things like, well, I should pray more and I need to be more focused. I think the biggest issue that most people have when it comes to their prayers is they get distracted. I mean, you have every good intention of just spending a few minutes with God, right? You're like me. And all you want to do, I mean, this is the goal. Just string together five sentences. That's all you want to do. If I could just string together five sentences without being distracted. But you find that to be difficult, don't you? And let's say you're, you're praying this next week, and you say, oh, Lord, thank you so much for the changing of the seasons. It's getting cooler outside. The, the leaves are changing color, and they're falling to the ground. Yes, the leaves are falling to the ground. You know, the other day, I 
saw my neighbor raking up his leaves. I, I think he got all his leaves raked up to be honest. You know, when I think about it, I might be the last guy in the neighborhood who hadn't raked up his leaves yet. You know, daylight savings time is coming in just a little bit. I, I, I probably need to get out there because I'm going to lose an hour of, of daylight, so I probably need to get out there. And, and before you know it, you're out there raking the leaves, and you're like, where'd that happen? You stopped praying, and you got distracted, now you're doing something else. Or maybe you can relate to this young lady. Take a look. Dear God, thank you for this lovely day. The coffee is steaming hot and in my favorite mug. Thank you for this beautiful book I have to read. Thank you that we have made it to 10 a.m. and I haven't had to turn on the AC. Hold on, did I pay the electric bill? I should remember if I did, I'm sure it was expensive. I am so grateful for a clean and quiet house. Wait. It's too quiet. Did Timmy start the dishwasher before school? Ooh, that boy's gonna make me lose my mind. Lord, help me to stay focused on you today. I am just so busy. Katie needs her uniform clean for soccer today. Dang grass, why can't they play on turf? My husband needs me to make his lunch again. I need to write all this down before I forget. You ever been there? I have many times. I want to stay focused, and all of a sudden, mine goes someplace else. Like you'd be driving in your car, and you think, oh, this is a good time for me to pray. So you turn the radio down. The radio is just in the background, and you're focused on the Lord, and you're talking to Him. And then all of a sudden, in the background, you hear, baby, 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 oh, la, baby, 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 oh. And you're like, oh, yeah. That's a jam that has to be sung, I'll tell you that right now. For you know it, you're cranking up, got the windows down, you're baby, 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 oh, right? That's what you're doing. We have a hard time even staying focused in a worship service, don't we? Like we're having the Lord's Supper, and, and you got the bread in one hand, you got the juice in the other, and you know the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, and the juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says you have to examine yourself before you take these things. So you need to spend some time and say, Lord, is there any wicked way within me, anything that's not pleasing to you? And so you're trying to stay focused on that. But all of a sudden, as you're focused, you feel a hunger pain. And, and the next thought is, I wonder what we're going to do after we leave church, where we're going to eat. That's what you're thinking, right? And then how many times have you looked at that little bitty wafer that we give you and think, why isn't that bigger? Because <laughs> that's just not going to satisfy me whatsoever in this moment in time. Some of you right now sitting here, you've been in and out of my message. You've been drifting in, and you've been drifting out, and I've only been talking for just a few minutes. Some of you ladies have looked over at your husband and said, I'll be doggone. He does have a double chin. That's what you've done. That's what you've done. Friends, if we understood who it is we're talking to, and if we understood what he's capable of, we would never stop praying. You know, the one who wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James, his nickname was Camel Knees. Did you know that? And the reason his nickname was Camel Knees is because his knees were so callous from spending hours praying. In fact, historians tell us that by his bed, on the wood planks by his bed, there were divots where his knees had been there so many times that the wood had made a divots there that his knees fit in. So James has taken us in this last section of his book 
And he wants to direct our attention back to prayer. And it's if he's shouting to us today what God did back then, he can still do today. So he gives us three reasons that we should pray or three occasions to pray. And then we're going to talk about how we can boost up our prayer life. James is going to talk about that as well. First thing he says this, a practical reason to pray. We should pray if we're in trouble. James 5.13 says, is any of you in trouble, he should pray. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we really don't have a problem with this one. We find ourselves in a dilemma. We find ourselves in over our head. It might not be our first reaction, but eventually we'll get around to asking God to intervene in our situation. This next week, you might, let me talk to the students for a second. This next week, you might be in school or you'll be in college, and your professor comes out with a big smile on their face, and they say, pop quiz. Now, that's a wonderful opportunity to pray right in that moment. You could pray something like this. Lord, if you're coming back, come back right now. That's what I need right now before I have to take this stinking pop quiz, right? Some of us, you're going to have some doctor's appointments possibly this next week. Or things in your physical body just haven't been working out the way that you hoped that they would. And some ideas on the internet that you've read look pretty, pretty nemesine. It's a moment to pray, isn't it? Because one of the first things you'd pray is, oh, God, you know, don't let this be cancer. Or, or you get a message and maybe an email or a text from your boss, and he says, at the end of the day, I want to see you. And he's never done that before. And you begin to pray, don't you? God, please protect my job. See, there's all kinds of occasions for us to pray. We should pray when there's problems. We should pray when there's trouble because he's the only one that can do anything about it. And again, the first church is our example in this, aren't they? Because they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. You'll be hard-pressed to read a single chapter where those people aren't on their knees praying for God to intercede. They were in so far over their heads, they knew they were in trouble. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in full view of the disciples, before he left, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize what he had just challenged those guys to do? To take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. They knew they were in over their heads. They knew there was no way they could pull it off. So what'd they do? They prayed. They gathered together daily and they prayed that God would give them boldness and courage to accomplish the task. And let me let you in on a little secret. That same thing that Jesus commissioned them to do is the same thing that we're supposed to do. But are we praying that God would use us in that way? Peter and John find themselves thrown in jail for kindness to a crippled man. And because they proclaim that Jesus has risen again from the dead. While they're in jail, the church is what? They're praying for their release. And when they're released, the church rejoices. And then they sit down and they pray again. I find it interesting what they prayed for. They did not pray for protection. They did not pray for comfort. You know what they prayed for? They prayed that they would be bold, that they would be strong, that they would be fearless in the face of adversity. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that they met together in the temple courts for corporate worship. That's what we do here. And then they met in homes in small groups. Have you ever wondered what their prayers must have been like compared to maybe the prayers we have in our small groups? Because outside their door was persecution. They're found out they're going to lose their livelihood. They're going to lose their job. They're going to lose their freedom. They might lose their very life. They prayed as if their life depended upon it. Because it did. 
So when you find yourself in trouble, who do you turn to first? Do you turn to yourself? Got yourself in the mess, you'll get yourself out of it? Is that what you do? That's probably why you're frustrated. Do you turn to a friend? Do you turn to a family member? Nothing wrong with that. But the first person you should talk to is God because he's the only one that can do something about it. No problem is too big for him. No burden that you carry is too heavy for him to carry alongside with you. And no temptation you face that he won't provide a way out from under that temptation. So James says, hey, you know when you should pray? Pray when you're in trouble. And then he says this, pray when life is good. We don't do this when it's good, do we? When life is good, sometimes our prayer life begins to dwindle a little bit. He says this, if anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. Did you know that the songs we sing here are, are prayers? A lot of people don't know that. They don't recognize that. They just think they're songs, and we just sing songs, and we sing them to God, but they're just songs. No, 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 no. These are prayers. You lift up these words, and they're powerful words, aren't they? Did you pay attention to the words today? My goodness, you lift those up as your prayers to our Lord and Savior. You're, you're, you're testifying that you believe that he is able. Friends, worship is a weapon. It's a weapon against depression. It's a weapon against discouragement. It's, it's a weapon against the size of your problems. When you come in here and you lift up his name, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your problems are going to get smaller and your God is going to get bigger. And the Bible says that we are supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting. For many of you, that's as good as it gets, right? It's just a noise. You don't have any ability to sing on key, and so you don't sing very loud. You, you kind of hold back what the good Lord has given you. I, I remember years ago, we were at LBJ Middle School. We had just started out as a church, maybe two, three years old. And I was on the front row, and I was getting ready to preach, and we were doing the worship part, and we were singing our songs to the Lord, singing our prayers to the Lord. And there was a guy right behind me on the second row, and he was singing. And it was the worst sounding thing I've ever heard. And I thought he was injured. I thought someone had kicked him, stepped on his foot. I thought he had sat on a cat, which wouldn't have bugged me at all if he'd have sat on a cat. I'm all for somebody sitting on a cat if they want to sit on a cat. But it was crazy. This guy was singing so loud and so bad that he made me sing off key. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This guy was overwhelming. He was giving it all for the Lord. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me right now. What's wrong with this guy? Doesn't he realize he can't sing a lick? He should tone it down a little bit. That's what I thought. So I thought, who is this cray-cray? That's what I thought. Who is this cray-cray person? So I kind of glimpsed in the corner of my eye to see who it was. And that's when I was humbled. Because there was this gentleman there, and he had his hands up to the skies, and he had his eyes closed, and he's singing his songs of praise and prayers to the Lord, tears pouring down his cheeks. And I thought to myself, this guy gets it on a deeper level than I ever have. In that one act of praise and worship, he was saying, nobody's taking my place. Nobody's going to take the place of me singing my love songs to my Lord and Savior. He's been so good to me. He's been so good to me. I've been burdened for so long. And I guess I should have talked to you about this a long, long time ago. But we're not very good when it comes to worship around here. I mean, I look out and I see you doing your best Milli Vanilli impersonation, you know. You, maybe you're moving your lips a little. You don't sing. Not like you could. Not like you should. 
And I watch you leave this place somewhat discouraged and despondent. And I think you just missed another opportunity to cast all your cares on him. What do you care what anybody thinks about your voice? He's the one who gave you that voice, and he gave you that voice to praise his holy name. So give him everything you've got. Give him your very best. Sing your love songs to him. So what do we do? We, we pray when we're in trouble. We pray when life is good. And then let me give you the third one. We pray when we're sick. James 5, 14. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. I, I, said, I saw a study this past week. It was 400 heart patients who had undergone some kind of heart surgery. This was from the University of California. You can look it up yourself if you like. What they did was they took the 400 patients. They had 200 patients where prayer groups were praying for them. And the other 200 patients, nobody was praying for them. Or at least there wasn't a prayer group praying for them. Now, here's what was interesting. Both of them got the necessary medical attention, but the doctors didn't know who was being prayed for and who wasn't. The nurses didn't know who was being prayed for and who wasn't. The patients didn't know if they were a part of the study being prayed for or not. Even the prayer groups never met the people that they prayed for. They only had names on a piece of paper. Well, what happened with these people? Did prayer work? This is what the study found. The group that was prayed for were less likely to develop congestive heart failure or to require antibiotics or breathing tubes. Fewer develop pneumonia or experience cardiac arrest than the group that was not prayed for. Now, that shouldn't surprise a single one of us because every one of us has seen an answer to prayer. And sometimes we've seen those answers to prayers be absolutely instantaneous, haven't we? Because there's power in our prayers. But does this mean we shouldn't seek medical attention? Absolutely not. What does he say? He says, anoint them with oil. And then he says, get the best people you know to pray for them. When you anoint someone with oil in the very first century, that was the best medication that they had at the time. So this is what James is saying. You get the best doctors and the best medication you can possibly get, and you get the most spiritual people you know to pray for you. And that's what I'm asking for today. I have an issue that I need prayer. Last Saturday night, uh, after services... I was in my kitchen washing dishes. Now, this is a lesson to every man that you should never wash dishes because it's dangerous. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Let your wife go in there and take care of that one, all right? Because when I wash dishes, bad things happen to me. So I'm washing dishes, and I'm just, no, nobody's even there. And all of a sudden, I lose hearing in my left ear. It's like my ear immediately clogged up. So I think, well, I've had this happen before, you know, ear clogs up, so I yawn to try to unclog it, doesn't work. I blow my nose, it doesn't work. I take water and I drink it and I hold my nose, it doesn't work. Everything I tried to do that you're supposed to do to unclog your ear, it didn't work. Well, I thought, well, I'll just go to bed and I'll put a heating pad on it and I'll be fine the next day. I mean, that, that'll work, right? Well, I woke up the next day and I still couldn't hear out of that ear, so now I'm concerned. So I called a friend of mine who's my primary care physician, and he said, listen, come in and see me on Monday. And so I went in on Monday, and he looked at my ears, and he said, well, I'm going to put you on this steroid, and then we're going to send you to an audiologist, and then I'm going to get you to an ENT. I said, sounds great to me. So I go to this audiologist, I take this hearing test, and I find that I've lost 45% of my hearing in my left ear. 
Well, I go to bed on Monday night, Tuesday morning, I wake up, and I've lost everything. I mean, I can't hear anything. So if, uh, you know, if there's a baby crying, it's not going to bug me because I can barely hear it. And when you laugh, I heard that barely. I appreciate you laughing on that. Uh, I can barely hear that right now. I, I can't hear anything out of this side. And so my, uh, I'm real dizzy, and I've got vertigo, and I've been throwing up a lot, and I've been praying all week that I'd be able to come and share this message with you because I really need your prayers. Now listen, I don't have a problem asking for that. I, I know God can do it. And I know what the word of God says. It says get the best medicine you can, get the best people you know to pray for you. And I know you will. I know every one of you will shoot up a prayer for me. But you know also I know is that everybody here and everybody at home, you're all facing something too. I'm very much aware of that. They pounded in my head when I was in seminary that on every row, maybe in every chair, there's a broken heart. Everybody's facing something. Everybody's going through something. And many of you, you're going through something so much bigger than I'm going through right now. And I want you to know I pray for you all the time. I don't even know your particular situation, but I pray for you. And I hope that you'll take advantage of the prayer request form that's there on the Sagebrush app. You just scroll down there and click on that and let us know what your prayer request is. At the Riverside campus, I hope you'll stop by the prayer wall and write your request down because we pray for those requests every single week. And why do we do that? Because we believe God moves on our behalf. Now, now here's what's interesting. Unfortunately, this isn't the magic formula, is it? I mean, I wish it was. I wish I could say, listen, you get the best medical attention you can. You get the best people praying for you. And hocus pocus, pixie dust comes down and you're healed and everything is good to go. But you know as well as I do that it doesn't always work out that way. That sometimes God says no. That sometimes God says, this is the valley you're going to go through with me. That there are some storms in life that you just have to go through to learn the lessons that God wants to teach you. And oh, friend, I've learned to depend on God in a whole new way this past week, unlike I ever have before. To have one of your senses just be taken from you in an instant, and it makes absolutely no sense. Oh, boy, you'll be on your knees and you'll pray. And you'll ask God to move and intervene. And sometimes he will. I've seen him do it over and over and over again. And sometimes he says no. Because there's a difference between being cured and being healed. Do you understand? Let me explain for those of you who don't quite get it. There was a pastor. He was in the foyer after his service. And a woman came up to him with her husband. She said, my husband has cancer. Would you pray for him? So the pastor puts his hands on him. He prays for him. Prays that he would be healed. Three days later, the pastor is in his office, gets a phone call from the same woman. She says, do you remember me? I brought my husband up. He had cancer. You prayed for him. He said, yes. And he was waiting for her to say, he was healed. But he didn't say anything. He just thought it. She said, he just died. He said, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, when I brought him to church on Sunday, he was so mean and so bitter towards God. He was 58 years old. And he knew he didn't have much time left. And he felt like God had ripped him off. Because he wanted to see his grandkids grow up. He wanted to see his kids continue to flourish. And he felt like God could have intervened in this situation. And he was so bitter and he was so angry that he wasn't any fun to be around. She said, but then I brought him to church and you prayed over him. She said, a peace went over him like I've never seen before. She said, these last three days have been like heaven on earth. We've read scripture together, we've prayed together, we've sung worship songs together. And then she said this, she said, the Lord didn't cure him, but the Lord did heal him. 
you do understand, don't you, that these bodies that we have are breaking down and that they're not painless and powerful? That doesn't happen until we get to heaven. We get our brand new body, and that brand new body doesn't break down. It doesn't have aches and pains. It doesn't go deaf on you. And so we long for that day. We long for that body. We know life down here is hard, but we also know that no matter what we face, we don't face it alone. So we hold on to him and we cling to him with everything we've got. If this has done anything for me, it's made my faith stronger. It's made my faith stronger that God is faithful and God is able. And if he wants to, so be it. And if he doesn't, that's okay too. Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. Because if the only thing he's ever given me is salvation, he's been better to me than I deserve. Now, how do we increase the power of our prayers? Believe this or not, there are actually things you can do to increase the power of your prayers, according to James. First thing he says is this, we got to pray with faith. He, I think he remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 9, 29. He said, according to your faith, it will be done for you. And I, I honestly believe that many times when we pray, we pray faithless prayers. How many times have you prayed a prayer, and as soon as you got done praying, you're like, that's not going to happen. You ever done that? Because I've done that. Like this past week, okay, God just popped that ear wide open. No, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. All right, you know. And you've got to learn to pray with anticipation. Pray with all the faith that you've got because God will surprise you. There, there was a pastor, a true story. He went to see this woman in the hospital. She had been there for two weeks. She had lost function in her legs. And so he went there and had a visit with her. And, and then he prayed for healing, prayed that her legs would be restrengthened again. Well, he says, in Jesus' name, Amen. And, and the woman, when she opens her eyes, she said, Pastor, when you were praying, I felt the power of God come over my body, and I feel like I've got strength in my legs. And the pastor said, well, that's wonderful. She said, yes, it is. I'm going to get out of this bed right now. And the pastor said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should be getting out of the bed. Let me get a nurse. She said, I don't have time for a nurse. I know God's healed me. She rips off her covers, jumps out of the bed, starts running around the room. Pastor goes out to the car. He's freaking out. He says one more prayer to God. He said, God, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> How many times, friends, have you prayed and you didn't believe? Just be honest about it. God, I'm not sure. God, I'm nervous. I know you're able. Help me with my unbelief. Now, does this mean that every single person that doesn't get healed, and the reason they didn't get healed was because they didn't have enough faith? Absolutely not. I've heard people say that. Well, if they had more faith, they wouldn't have cancer. That is ridiculous. My goodness, the Apostle Paul prayed three times for a thorn in his side to be removed, and God said no. Did you tell me the Apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? No, God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For when you are weak, then I'm strong. When Jesus, do you think Jesus didn't have enough faith? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying sweat drops of blood coming from his brow. He says, Father, if there be any other way to save mankind from their sins, let's go another way. God said, no, you're going to the cross. We pray with faith. We pray with everything we've got, but we also trust in the sovereignty of God, that he is bigger and stronger and wiser, and we trust him, that he knows what is best. Let me tell you another way we could increase our prayers. We need to make sure we have right relationship with others. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. 
Matthew 5, 23, Jesus said, This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Now look at 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, speaking of physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Some of you came in here today and you got a grudge against somebody else. you got somebody that you don't care for, someone that you haven't forgiven. And you expect God to answer your prayer and listen to you? God says, I've extended my grace to you and my forgiveness to you. And then you won't in turn extend that on to other people? The Bible says we're supposed to live at peace with everyone as much as we possibly can. No doubt there are some people that don't want to live at peace. But we make every effort to live at peace with everyone. So you holding a grudge? You got some animosity against somebody else? You holding on to some bitterness, some unforgiveness? Don't expect your prayers to go over the ceiling. That's why they're popping back down at you. But if you'll confess those sins and you'll work those things out and, and reconcile with those people, your prayers will all of a sudden just go shooting right up. God will listen to you. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me give you one more. You got to be righteous. You say, oh man, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean I got to be perfect? No. The word righteous means that you have a right relationship with God. It's because you confessed your sin to him. You have a relationship and you walk with him, you talk with him, you do life together with him. And James uses the illustration of a man by the name of Elijah. This is what he says. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. That's true, isn't it? If you read the story of Elijah, you know he went through bouts of depression. He had fear. He was just like us. Elijah was a prophet of God during the time when the Israelite people had turned their back on God. They didn't want anything to do with him anymore. And so Elijah prayed that his people would repent, but they refused to do so. So he prayed a big, hairy, audacious prayer. He prayed that God would send a natural disaster to Israel to break their hard hearts so that the people would come back to their senses. Look at what it says here. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Can you imagine having a prayer life like this? And let me tell you this about God. God's impressed with the people who still believe he can do something impossible. Write this down if you're taking notes. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. So... Could it be the reason we're bored with our prayer life is because we're not asking him for much anything? I mean, most of the things we pray for, we could kind of do ourselves. And most of the prayers we pray are really about our inner circle. But what if we broadened our perspective? What if we prayed a big, hairy, audacious prayer? My goodness, aren't you sick and tired of coming to this service and seeing all these empty seats? At what point in time do we take ownership of that and responsibility for that? At what point in time do we start praying that, that a revival would sweep through this place as well? And that every single seat would be filled. Do you pray those kinds of big, hairy, audacious prayers? Do you pray, do you pray for our city? Do you pray for our city officials and our city governments that they would seek the face of God? 
Do you pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer that revival would sweep through our town? Do you pray for the United States of America? Oh, I know you shake your head about it. I know you're disgusted by it. But do you pray for it? Do you ask God to intervene? Do you ask God to so break our hearts that we would repent of our sin and seek his face once again? What are you praying for? Friends, if you'll start praying big, hairy, audacious prayers, you'll see God move in ways that you never thought possible. And when you see God do this, it will strengthen your faith and you will be such a strong and devoted Christian because you will be talking to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week because you realize who it is you're talking to and the power that he has. Now listen, every Thursday in this church at the Riverside campus for our multi-sites, if you want to drive across town, we'd love to have you. But every Thursday at 11 o'clock in room 112, we gather together and we pray. So if you can make it this Thursday at 11 o'clock, just like that businessman. And all of a sudden it started a revival across the nation. Who knows what God might do. Every Thursday, 11 o'clock, room 112. I hope you'll take advantage of the prayer request on the app. I hope that we'll lift each other up. That we'll help each other along the way. That none of us face the burdens alone. And I hope more than anything that we'll be a church that's known for praying. For seeking the face of God. Let's talk to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, you're our only hope. You're the only one that can do the impossible. You're the one that can change our situation and our circumstance. And I know everyone here has got something going on, something that's hard, something that's difficult. Lord, we're trying to carry the burden on our own, and you, we were never intended to do that. So we lay our requests before you. We know that you're a good God. We know that you intervene. And we know that you love to hear our prayers. So give us a passion for you. Lord, when we see a need, may we be people who pray in that moment. May we stop saying things like, well, I'll pray for you about that. But in that moment, lift up a prayer to you on that person's behalf. God, we need you. Help us to be prayer warriors. Let nothing hinder our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.